Actually, I meant to say something before you did that, Polly, but thank you. I didn't tell you that. <laughs> so I'll say it now. I know. How are you supposed to know, right? <laughs> so I, since she's read already, it's good. But I want to thank um, United Methodist Women for the service, and especially I want to thank Becky Crabtree for putting her work, all her work in putting together this service. Thank you, Becky, for your attention to detail, your patience, and your sense of humor. Ladies, you owe her. I also want to thank her for the opportunity to uh, preach on this particular passage. I really enjoyed working with it. So let me back up a little bit and uh, tell you what's going on at this point in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is in the city of Capernaum, the hometown of Simon Peter and Andrew, James, and John, four fishermen whom Jesus has called to be his disciples. It is the Sabbath, which begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday. Along with the others in the town, Jesus goes to the synagogue where he is given the opportunity to teach. As he is speaking, a man possessed by what Mark calls an unclean spirit confronts him. Jesus exercises the spirit, and the people there, already impressed by the authority with which he taught, are amazed by this display of power. The worship service concludes, and now it is time to eat and to rest. So this is where I'm supposed to have Polly read, but you heard it already. So let me ask you this. How many women in the New Testament can you name? I see fingers going here. Let's see. Mary, Jesus' mother, right? And Mary Magdalene and Mary and Martha, good. And Elizabeth, I heard that one. Okay, good. That's really good. But there's a lot more than those that we named. Matter of fact, so many of the women in the New Testament are nameless, and because of that, they also go unnoticed and unknown, especially in this particular gospel. Among them is the woman in today's story, Peter's mother-in-law. Which means that, surprise, Peter had a wife. Wait, what? We always think of those disciples as not having family. They're just out there fishing, and Jesus calls them, and they can just leave. But Peter had a wife. Now, I understand that Mark's focus is on Jesus, as it should be, but still I wish we knew more about this particular unseen, unnamed, unknown woman. Was she away from her home at this time? Had she passed away? Were there children? We'll never know. What we do know is that Simon's mother-in-law is still a beloved member of the household. But for upon entering the house, Jesus is immediately informed that she is in bed with a fever. The details matter here. Jesus does not hesitate to act. He goes to the woman's bedside, takes her by the hand, and lifts her up. Over and over again, the Gospels record that Jesus touched those whom he wished to heal. Research has shown us the importance of touch for health and well-being, and most of this know us from our own experience. When we are afraid or grieving or ill, a gentle hug, squeeze on the shoulder, or a cool hand holding ours can be a real blessing. Of course, touch can be misused and abused, as the Me Too movement is making all too clear. And we need to be alert to the difference between kindness and manipulation. That's not the case here, of course. On the contrary, 
By taking this woman's hand, Jesus makes God's loving presence and healing power tangible. Now, on the face of it, the phrase, he lifted her up, simply means that Jesus helped the woman to stand. But the verb here, perhaps better translated as raised, has significance in Mark, for it is applied to Jesus himself at the end of the gospel when an angel tells women who discover an empty tomb, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has been raised. As Jesus will be raised from death to life, So he raises this nameless woman from illness and restores her to her life, her health and wholeness, and oh, so much more. For we are told not only that this woman is made well, but that she began to serve him. Okay, so my immediate gut reaction to this is, what? This poor woman has just gotten over being sick, and now she has to fix dinner. I mean, couldn't Peter and, you know, the other fishermen come up with some sandwiches or something? Give her a break, right? Right? Why are only the women laughing? I don't get that. But let's look more closely. Again, the verb matters. In Greek, to serve is diakoneo, diakoneo, a word that is the root of our English word deacon and is the same verb that is used earlier in this chapter to describe the action of the angels who ministered to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Jesus does not demand or command that this woman serve him. On the contrary, because he restored her to wholeness, she is free to express her gratitude and love in a tangible way by ministering to his need for rest, for food, for loving care. Marianne Tolbert notes, What the angels were able to do for Jesus in the wilderness, the woman whose fever has fled now does for him in her home. In her own way, she touched him with love and care. And let's take this one step further, jumping ahead to in the gospel to chapter 15. There Mark notes that women, that women were present at the crucifixion, women who used to follow Jesus and provided for diaconeo, him in Galilee. I think there's a strong possibility that Simon's mother-in-law just might have been among those women. And that's not all. For the word that describes this woman's actions is also the same word that Jesus uses to describe the essence of his own ministry in Mark 10.45, when he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Far from being someone who gives in to cultural expectations or is simply repaying Jesus for kindness given, this unnamed woman, in the words of Sarah Henrik, is the first character of Mark's gospel who exemplifies true discipleship. And that is a high calling indeed. The healing of this woman also restores her to her place in the community. When she was ill, she was isolated, unable to join her family and friends in worship in the synagogue and unable to care for those in her household. Now, however, she is not only able to serve Jesus, but she is free to offer hospitality for others who come to her home in search of healing. And come they do. 
At sundown, after the Sabbath is over, people begin to show up at this woman's house, bringing their loved ones on cots and litters to Jesus, hoping that he can make a difference. Gradually, the number of people increases until virtually the whole city is crowded around the door, watching in amazement as Jesus casts out demons and heals the sick. It seems natural to me to think of this woman working alongside Jesus, doing her best to make people comfortable and to see their needs. Surely her understanding of the the value of her work expanded as she supported Jesus and ministered to others in her community. What an exhausting and yet joyful day that must have been for her. I wonder if this woman woke up when Jesus left the house early in the morning while it was still dark to pray. I also wonder what she thought when her son-in-law and his companions awoke to find him gone and hurriedly began to hunt for him. Hunt for him. Not just look. They really wanted to track him down. And I wonder if she urged them to leave him in peace and if, unlike the men, she understood that Jesus' mission was something greater, something that would lead him to other towns and villages to share God's good news and healing power. Somehow... I wouldn't be surprised. It's a day to celebrate United Methodist Women. I'm proud to be part of this organization, but I have to admit that wasn't always the case. When we moved to this area and joined a Methodist church, my impression of UMW was that, forgive me now, that it was a bunch of little old ladies sitting around talking and drinking coffee. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. And then a friend invited me to come to a gathering of the church's UMW unit, and I liked it well enough to come again. And eventually that same good friend also invited me to join what is called a circle. You've heard about our circles here, a small fellowship group. And it was there that I discovered that those little old ladies, who were probably the age I am now or just a little bit older, were funny and wise and loving. In other words, I learned what it was to be a part of a creative, supportive fellowship. I also began to learn more about the work of United Methodist Women, which that is much, much bigger than rummage sales and church bazaars and dinners. UMW is, after all, the largest faith-based women's organization in the world. And as you heard already, they support missions all over the globe, especially missions that care for women, children, and youth. They also advocate for social justice, especially for those who are the most vulnerable. And I learned about those things as I attended schools of Christian mission, now called Mission U's, in which women gather to learn and to grow in their faith. And if you have a chance to go to Mission U, I highly recommend it. It's a really special weekend. Um, Plus, you get to get away from home for a little while, so that's a good thing, too. Gradually, I became more and more involved in UMW. I started serving on the church's UMW board as what's now known as spiritual growth coordinator and eventually as president. And the board members were very patient with me. I was undoubtedly not the best president they ever had, but they were really good. And then I was invited to serve on the district UMW board, along with women like Pat Bushrow. And that was a whole new adventure started out serving as Mission Education Interpretation Coordinator and then switched to Spiritual Growth Coordinator. And then that capacity, I wrote devotions, installed officers, and preached. As 
a matter of fact, before I was ordained, I preached as a UMW officer at both churches that I have served as a pastor, including this one. I am incredibly grateful for United Methodist Women. Not only did they help prepare me for the work of ordained ministry, but they also helped to grow me as a person and as a Christian. They made the love of Christ tangible to me. I see so many parallels between United Methodist Women and the story of Simon's mother-in-law. She, came to, she too came to know God and experienced freedom as a healed and whole person through Jesus Christ, freedom to be the person she was created to be. And this is part of the reason that UMW exists. It also exists so that women can engage in caring fellowship. And I like to believe that this woman also came to be part of a fellowship, the circle of women who creatively and supported and faithfully supported Jesus during his ministry, saved him at the cross, stood by him at the cross, and ultimately received the good news that he had been raised. As Jesus made God's loving presence and healing power tangible to this woman, so she made that same presence and power tangible for others, as does the mission work of United Methodist Women. I also see parallels between this woman's story and all who seek to be Christ's disciples, men and women alike. For it reminds us that those who serve us every day and who so often remain nameless, those who wait on us at tables and cook our food, those who clean our offices and homes, those who collect our trash and deliver our mails, those who build and repair our houses, pick our crops and stock our grocery shelves and make our coffee, all of those are valued and loved by God. It also reminds us that in a service of Christ, even the most menial of tasks becomes a high and holy calling. And finally, the story of this woman reminds us that God's desire for each of us, indeed for all people, is that we will all know God's love and experience freedom as whole persons through Jesus Christ, that we will all enjoy creative, supportive fellowships, and that we will all participate in the global ministries of the church. In other words, this passage calls us to engage with each other and in Christ's service the service to which this woman, a true disciple of Christ, gave herself wholeheartedly. May it be so for all of us. Amen.